Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but I woke with the key to hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. Today's sermon, friends, is about shibboleths. Shibboleths. Uh, a shibboleth is one of those words that has a Bible origin to it, but it's developed into a common word. And I want to talk about shibboleths today because I find them to be an Old Testament reality that has manifested in all time, but specifically in our own time as of late. And I think we can learn a lot about our own time and our own station in life right now if we go back and study the original shibboleth, as it were. And put simply, um, a shibboleth is a word or a phrase or a communication that reveals one's identity as an insider or an outsider. And, and they are very common. In fact, there's a very common one here in Ligonier. When I first moved to Ligonier, someone quietly pulled me aside to say that the structure in the center of the diamond, right, the large raised platform that's painted white and has a copper top on it, that structure is often called a gazebo. I was in- informed, however, that it is not a gazebo. It is, in fact, a bandstand. It is a place uh, to set up for musicians to perform. And if I was to be a local and not a tourist, if I was to be an insider and not an outsider, I needed to know the difference. And this is a modern example of a shibboleth. The original word shibboleth itself back in the book of Judges, which we'll look at in a moment here, it means something, uh, the scholars aren't totally positive on what it means. It either means the, the head of a stalk of wheat, the part where the grain grows, or it means a flood, like a torrent in a river or something like that. But really, it doesn't matter what shibboleth means in the ancient language, because as we'll see in our reading, the only thing that matters really uh, is how you pronounce it. And so I want us to look at our reading from Judges today, and I want us to explore this original shibboleth. (laughs) And again, if we do so, we're going to have something deep and profound to learn about our own time. So that's where we're going today. Here's how the reading begins. The men of Ephraim were called to arms, and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. Okay, so there's a lot going on there. I I do recommend if you're listening to this, you know, on your own time, if you get a chance to actually pull out the the Bible and find Judges 12 and and read this, you're going to understand more what's going on because there's a lot of Bible names and places and some geography things happening in this reading. Um, Here's our cast of characters. There's uh, Ephraim is number one. And Ephraim is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in your mind's eye, imagine the Jordan River going north to south, and they live on the west side of that Jordan River. And our second character is a man named Jephthah. And Jephthah is a man of God chosen to lead Israel for a season. His title is Judge, right? The Book of Judges. Jephthah is a judge. 
He's from the tribe of Manasseh. His headquarters is in the city of Gilead. And in your mind's eye, imagine again the Jordan River going north to south. And his home, the city and his tribe are located on the east side of the Jordan River. The Ammonites were a pagan group that went to war with Israel. And they lost to Israel under Japheth's leadership. Japheth and all the fighting men under him have returned home with the spoils of war, livestock and gold and silver and tools and food and weapons. They've all brought this back home with them, which is great. That's what you did when you um, won a war in the ancient world. You looted the cities and towns that you conquered. Well, somewhere along the line, a communication ball was dropped when um, Jephthah took the people of Israel to war against the Ammonites. Somewhere along the line, communication ball was dropped because Ephraim, this tribe, was supposed to send a contingent of soldiers to join that fight. But those men didn't show up. <laughs> they, they didn't show up. The men of Ephraim uh, are sitting there thinking that they were snubbed. They never got an invitation. And so they were left out. Maybe that's so Je Jephthah and his men could keep the spoils of the war to themselves and they wouldn't have to share. But, but Jephthah and his men had sent the invitation. They said, no, we invited you. Uh, we went forward because you didn't RSVP. And so there's a communication issue here where Ephraim thinks they were slighted and not invited to go to battle. And Jephthah and his men say, no, you were invited. You just didn't show up. And this is a big deal, right? In, in any world, ancient or modern, because these things, these misunderstandings can blow up very quickly because either one of three things is true about Ephraim in the story. Ephraim either was intentionally snubbed because they were um, of a bad character or they were left out of the loot sharing. They didn't want them to come along because they didn't want to share the loot or they rejected the call to come and they've just lied about it. They've said, hey, you know, why'd you go without us? And, and it's like, well, we invited you. It's like, no, we never got the invitation. Well, they're lying maybe that they didn't get the invitation. Uh, no matter how you slice it, Ephraim comes out of the situation publicly shamed. And in an honor and shame culture like this one in the ancient world, um, to be seen as dishonorable or foolish or to be ashamed in public like that was this sort of social and political death. And so to restore their honor, Ephraim goes on the warpath. They say, we will burn your house over you with fire. So that's the setup. Those are our characters. You have the, the men of Ephraim. Then you have the men uh, under Japheth's, uh, Japheth, Jephthah's leadership. And they are um, going to war over whatever the misunderstanding is between the two of them. So here's what happens next. Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the middle of Ephraim and Manasseh. Again, there's a lot of geography happening here. But the phrase, you are fugitives, is a really telling phrase because the men of Ephraim we learned something about their character here. They think they're hot stuff. And so they're kind of going outside of their jurisdiction to execute justice and bring back some sort of honor onto themselves. What they're going is they're going into another tribe's territory uh, to go get their um, sort of comeuppance, their revenge, their justice. And, and, you know, even in our own time, right, it's not like New York sends police officers down to West Virginia to handle a, a criminal matter, right? Uh, that they don't have jurisdiction there, we would say. And, and so we learned something here about Ephraim, right? They're sending an army into another um, tribe's area to deal with these matters. And it, it gets to the point where that increases 
the spite and the anger. And as we find out, this Ephraim tribe, who's not really presented in a, a very uh, sort of helpful manner here, um, God does not buy it. <laughs> God is not on his side. Next in our reading, in the Gileadites, in the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, are you an Ephraimite? What's happened is Ephraim gets beaten so badly that the army of Jephthah is able to circumvent them, to go around them and capture the fords of the Jordan River, right? Remember, I, I asked you to imagine there's a north-south river. And on the one side, on the west side, um, that's where Ephraim lives. And on the east side is where Jephthah is. And so what's happened is the invasion has gone from west to east, but they've been beaten and they're trying to go back east to west. And there's a river in the way. And Gilead and, the, excuse me, Jephthah and all of his men have taken the fords of the river. They can't get home. The, the Ephraimites can't get home because the only way to get home is to cross this river. And so they're going to these fords. They're looking to cross the river and they're being tested. The men of Gilead say, are you from Ephraim? They have to do this because everybody looks alike. These are these are kissing cousins. They're tribes that are so close together. Everybody looks alike. And so they're asking people and they're sorting out and they're saying, all right, well, if you're from Ephraim, we're, you know, we're at war and we're going to, we're going to kill you here. But if you're just a traveling merchant, you can go. But what ends up happening is that the, the men under Jephthah's rule take advantage of a linguistic quirk between the two tribes, how to pronounce the word Shibboleth. Because the men from Ephraim had a different accent and they pronounced the word differently. They did not say Shibboleth, they pronounced the word Sibboleth. And so the text says, you know, what happens? Are you an Ephraimite? When he said no, they said to him, say Shibboleth. And he said Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. Pronounce this word correctly or you will die. And so this very silly word, shibboleth, becomes uh, the, the word that leads to a remarkable slaughter. 42,000 men died from Ephraim as a result. And this is a serious word, even if it sounds like a, a silly word to us in the year 2021. So that's the Bible story, the original shibboleth. And I have a few observations, three, in fact, I want us to look at. And the first observation I want us to note is that a shibboleth is usually brought forward when the two sides of a disagreement are closely related and difficult to separate. So I just mean practically speaking, right? In some conflicts, you don't need to develop this shibboleth, this quick way of dividing the, the good guys from the bad guys. You don't need that because those lines have been made very clear. When the boys and the girls are fighting on the playground, right, as we all did when we were all kids, when the boys and the girls are fighting on the playground, you don't need a shibboleth. You can just tell who's on one side or the other. It's the same thing for like football players, right? They have differentiated themselves with uniforms. We're not deceiving each other. It's easy to tell which team is which. The people who need shibboleths to differentiate one another develop them because they are otherwise indistinguishable. And that's part of what the tragedy of the reading is for us. If you read the greater context of the Bible, what you discover is that these people in our reading, the Ephraimites and, and the men under uh, Jephthah, 
they're all Israelites, <laughs> right? This isn't a conflict between God's people and the pagans. This is a conflict between people of God and people of God, people who worship the same God, who have the same ancestors, who follow the same laws, and they speak the same language aside from apparently some minor uh, accent um, differences. Uh, they even had the same religious body modification, right? Um, they were all circumcised, which is meant to distinguish them from the rest of the world. It's kind of a shibboleth in its own right, circumcision. These men were killing and dying uh, because they were all cousins, and they differentiated on this one fact, um, but they were, they were family. And so this reading is really tragic because in a moment, tens of thousands of people died, and the only way they could figure out who to kill versus who to not kill was this tiny little uh, difference of accent, right? It was the way to differentiate between the good guys and the bad guys. Um, there's a phrase made popular by Sigmund Freud, the famed uh, psychologist, that gets to the heart of the matter. Freud was the one who coined the term, the narcissism of small differences. And he used this phrase to talk about how people were so profoundly similar in so many ways, yet they still wanted to differentiate themselves to be more righteous and more right than the other people. And so shibboleths are, are one way in which this small narcissism the narcissism of small differences manifests itself in the Old Testament and as we'll talk in a little bit in our own time as well. And so that's my first observation. Shibboleths develop among people who might otherwise be indistinguishable. So second thing, a shibboleth is fundamentally a concept of fear. Um, the, the conflict in our reading arises from a deep and abiding resentment from the men of Ephraim, doesn't it? Uh, they believe that they have been at their core shamed and rejected. And in the ancient world, those consequences of that are very severe. They're talking about being cut off from future wars, uh, isolated from national politics, excluded from important social functions, right? The, the, they were afraid of the consequences of not going to war, right? So, so to say nothing, of course, right? That you have Ephraim, who's terrified of the consequences of being shamed in this culture, to say nothing of the men of, of Jephthah and the men underneath him who were just afraid of the aggression from Ephraim. Fear is all over our text today. And I think this is one of the reasons why we have this fun little shibboleth about the bandstand here in Ligonier. There's a constant fear in our town that tourists are going to come and outsiders are going to come. They're going to come in and they're going to tear down the community and the culture that we love so dearly. And so we developed this little shibboleth to, to let us let us know who the real locals are versus the tourists or, you know, the outsiders versus the insiders, the people who grew up here and the people who didn't. And when things are well and good, you see, we don't develop these things. When we are at peacetime and there's no social or cultural or political conflict happening, we generally don't feel like we need to separate and do this sort of thing. When things are well, we don't do this. Using language to separate ourselves um, is a sign that things are bad, that we're afraid. And what we're doing is we're forming out of our fear a tight-knit group of people who share our fears to partner and ward off the bad thing, whatever it is. So that's my second observation. Shibboleths only develop in a culture of fear. The third observation, and then we'll move to a conclusion. The third observation is that a shibboleth is fundamentally tragic. A shibboleth is tragic. No matter what form it takes, a shibboleth is tragic. And that's the point of why this story is included in the book of Judges, right? People who are family slaughtering each other. Um, because that's part of what the book of Judges wants us to see. 
you know, we are to look at the story of Ephraim and the men under Jephthah and say, gosh, look at the violence that we're capable of when we don't follow God's laws and keep a lively faith. We fracture and we divide and we do violence to one another. This is something that Psalm 55 gets at the heart of because it's a psalm of betrayal where David prays to God about the, the betrayal of a close friend. And that's one of our readings today is Psalm 55, who's been working against him in secret. And it's that kind of emotion, right? When a word, uh, uh, when you have a friend whose words are butter, but whose heart is war, as the psalm says, right? This is what shibboleths do for us. They divide us uh, into those whose words are butter, but whose heart is war. The photo in the email that's going out um, this Sunday morning and also on the bulletin covers today is an art piece called Shibboleth. And the artist took um, an art gallery, right? They have this big, massive gallery space at the Tate Art Museum. And what they did was instead of filling the art space with, um, with, uh, with artwork and, and things to go look at, they took a chisel and jackhammer, an air hammer. And what they did was they, they created a massive crack in the concrete floor of this large exhibit area, this very large exhibit area. And um, what they wanted to do, what the artist wanted to do was to create the sense, to visualize how divisive we human beings can be when we are so similar, yet also so afraid. And it, it, there's something that fractures, there's something that breaks. And this photo, this art, the, 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 the art exhibit, which this photo captures, is called Shibboleth. <laughs> um, that's what the artist named it. And the story goes that in this exhibit, it's very funny, that this exhibit, which is really just a creative massive crack in the floor of a concrete floor to div to, that talks about division, uh, the installation, there were 14 people who tripped and fell on the cracks and injured themselves during the like two years that this um, was run. The artwork, I think, is rightly named. It's a physical construct that illustrates the tragic division which our text outlines. Look, we haven't stopped making shibboleths in the past 3,000 years since this tragedy took place. We see them all the time. And COVID and the past year and a half, um, I think it's made it worse. Uh, what are the conditions that produce shibboleths, I wonder, right? Um, we identified them, you know, fear. Um, close identities and resulting tragedy. Well, in 2021, we're all afraid. Um, whether it's the virus that has us afraid or whether it's the government's actions to control the virus that have us afraid. Or maybe we're afraid of needles and getting vaccines. We're all afraid of something. And we're all looking to figure out who has the same fears that we have so we can form a group with them to take action and navigate the pandemic together. And so we develop these shibboleths with each other as a means to control the world around us, to, to surround ourselves with people who agree with our fears, and we form these mutual defense groups. And, and we've been doing this um, all pandemic. I get this often as a pastor because people want to know if I'm someone they can welcome into their fear defense group. And people will strike up conversations with me, not, not you guys in the church necessarily, but people outside. And they'll say things to me like, you know, isn't it awful what the governor is doing, closing down churches and keeping people from worshiping? And, and I, I try to interject and say, well, you know, the government never closed any churches in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, but that's beside the point of what I'm talking about, right? This question is a shibboleth of sorts. 
um, the person is going to want to relate to me and understand how they relate to me based on the answer that I give. Now, if I give the wrong answer, it's going to cut off a, pot a potential friendship or a sense of camaraderie or, or a friendship with this person. And people will also say to me things from the other side like, gosh, how about all these other churches meeting together without masks and getting sick and being responsible? I mean, you know, I, I are, is your church like that, Pastor Brian? <laughs> And um, again, these are shibboleths all in their own way, right? Because what people are trying to do with this is they're trying to, 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 to take the current events to say, okay, well, can I be in relationship with this person? Or I do need to have them, you know, metaphorically, you know, surrounded and slaughtered because they're an impediment to my safety. And you do this too, don't you, right? You test new people by seeing, by using shibboleths to identify their life circumstances, Poli pol this is the politics thing, right? Politics is all the time. So many shibboleths in politics. If you're a Republican, then you, you use words like freedom and responsibility and, and rights all the time. And if you're a Democrat, you use language like safety and equality and privilege all the time. And you can pepper your language with these political words to see if others are allowed to be part of your survival circle because there's something you're afraid of. Right? Even we, as Christians in the church, we're not immune to this. I know the Calvinist types. I, I kind of sort of am one, not really. I would say I am, but they would say I'm not. But I know the Calvinist types, right? And for whatever reason, our Calvinist friends, they all love to sprinkle the word sovereign into all of their prayers. Not because they take comfort in the fact that God is sovereign, but because that language identifies them as Calvinist. And it signals to other Calvinists in the room that, hey, I'm, I'm one of you. And the same can be said for those who are really passionate about social matters in the church and, and doing good works and works of mercy, right? They, they talk a lot about God's justice in their prayers and in their conversations. They just really want to see God's justice done. And the same can be said for a Christian like me, right? I'm, I'm outing myself here, right? Because I'm afraid of legalistic Christianity. And so I sprinkle the word grace in all of my conversations and all of my prayers because, right, to me, grace becomes this shibboleth that helps me to discern who I can trust and who I, I can't. And that comes from a spirit of fear. And so I, I share that to you as a confession uh, to, to say, you know, we all do it. And the early church did it too, didn't they, right? Paul writes about this in our reading in Romans 14, how we should avoid shibboleths at all costs. Because for some in the church, activities like celebrating a traditional new moon festival in the Jewish way and eating meat sold in a pagan meat market, these activities became shibboleths in their own right, right? The, the action itself became a signifier of in-group righteousness and out-group damnation. And, and Paul's warning here is stark. For these Christians who are dividing themselves over these shibboleths. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Asked Paul. Don't you know we will all stand before God's judgment? The only line that really matters, according to Paul, is not any line that you and I or others can draw between ourselves, but the line between us and the perfect judgment of God and every living person who will give account to him. Right? Paul says, look, fear God. Don't fear your neighbor. <laughs> love your neighbor. Love God. But also fear God, the one who judges with perfect judgment, and don't sit there fearing your neighbor and producing all of these shibboleths to keep them at bay. And it wasn't even the early church. This is Jesus's disciples too. And according to our reading in Luke chapter 9, right, the, the Samaritans, right, were that way as well. Jesus and his disciples in our Luke 9 reading were heading towards Jerusalem for the Passover, and they're heading from town to town and preaching and teaching and, and healing and doing ministry along the way. 
And so a couple of Jesus's advanced team members went ahead to announce to a Samaritan village that Jesus was coming. So these would be disciples that went ahead and say, hey, Samaritan village, hey, I've got good news for you. I'm with Jesus. He's a rabbi. He's going to come. He's going to teach. He's going to preach. He's going to heal. Get ready. Like, you know, prepare in advance. Do your work in advance. Come. We're going to spend a couple of days with you and bless you with Jesus Christ himself. That's what they would do. But the village found out that Jesus was stopping there on the way to Jerusalem. And Samaritans were a group of people who um, did not believe Jerusalem was the right place to worship God. They had a political, theological difference with the people of Jerusalem. So what they said was, wait a minute, you're going to Jerusalem? Oh, no, thank you. We don't need Jesus to stop here. Because if you believe God is to be properly met in the Jerusalem temple, no, we don't need anything you have for us. No, thank you. There was no room for any compromise. And so Jesus going to Jerusalem became a shibboleth for the Samaritans in this village. And their rejection was one that, you know, Jesus sort of moved on and no, no big deal. But James and John, the brothers, took it personally. And they said to Jesus in our reading, right, what did they say to Jesus? Lord, Do you want us to to, to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And they're imagining that this village is this new Sodom in Gomorrah. But instead of an expected affirmation or even sympathy, or they get instead a rebuke. What does Jesus say? Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Jesus may have been turned away by his political views that became a shibboleth. Um, but he refuses to let his disciples act in reciprocity. The followers of Jesus are not permitted to engage in sort of a reverse shibboleth against the Samaritans. They're not going to sit there and repeat the tragedy that took place between these Old Testament tribes. They're not going to sit there and say, okay, well, if you don't want Jesus, then that's enough of a shibboleth to know that you guys, you know, deserve the fire from heaven. And so... If we are operating in that same place where we have these little ticks to differentiate between insiders and outsiders, and we use those uh, to automatically make snap judgments about people and their worth and their value and whether they are safe and good to be around, what we're going to get instead by creating a shibboleth like that, we're going to get a rebuke from Jesus. We're not going to get a blessing from him. And man, if that's the standard, we are all due in this season for a rebuke from Jesus. If you ever saw someone wearing a Make America Great Again MAGA hat and you automatically wrote them off, then Jesus rebukes you. And if you ever saw someone wearing a mask of their own volition, not because the state mandated that they did, but they did it for their own protection in a place that didn't require it, and you looked at them and you automatically wrote them off, then Jesus rebukes you. And if you have thought less of people who have not taken this vaccine and in your heart you have called them idiots and in your mind you've been avoiding them, Jesus rebukes you. And if you have thought less about someone who got the vaccine and in your mind you're calling them sheeple and and ignorant and uh, they don't think, they don't think for themselves, if that's what you're doing, well, Jesus rebukes you as well. And if you've ever thought less of someone because they called it a gazebo instead of calling it a bandstand, well, Jesus rebukes you as well. (laughs) We spoke two weeks ago about how Jesus made one band of disciples out of people with very different outlooks. 
Um, that pattern continues on long after Jesus's resurrection, my friends, because while the rest of the world embraces the fear, they develop the shibboleths and they keep others outside of that in-group at an arm's distance. The Bible describes the work of God, the redeeming work of God, as the end of all the shibboleths. Where there is division in the gospel, friends, there is unity. Where there is rejection in this work of God through Jesus' death and resurrection, there is welcome. Where there is sin, there is forgiveness. Where there is self-righteous, there is humility. Where there is slaughter, there is salvation. The church, friends, the people of God, is this trans-political, multi-ethnic, class-spanning family of people that God is assembling, who begin to look more and more alike as we get closer to Jesus. In Jesus Christ, my friends, we will find the end to all our shibboleths. So be on guard, my friends, against fear that divides us. Be on guard for your tendency to isolate and retract with a subset of those like with like-minded fears. Such matters are in opposition to the will of our good and gracious God. Where we might have been slaughtered at the fords of the heavenly Jordan, Jesus Christ was slaughtered on our behalf. He spoke Sibboleth for us so that we might cross the Jordan and go home. In Jesus' name. Amen. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, lay down in green, broke with the keys, fell on that day, firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ. Ligonier, Pennsylvania.